So when I would come at those upset clients, what I did was say, I'm so sorry you're having a problem. Can you tell me your story? I don't know what's going on, but can you start from the beginning and just tell me your story? And then the amazing thing you do is shut up and listen. Because we're so busy trying to defend our side of the story here that we don't listen to people. Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David Liss, a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPause Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional. And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician. And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips. We will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone. This episode is sponsored by Thrive Affordable Vet Care. Looking for a thriving career? Make the change and find your why at Thrive. Now hiring clinical staff. Visit thrivevet.com slash careers today. Andrea and I are beyond excited to have Debbie Boone on the podcast today. Woo woo! Uh, Debbie is the owner and consultant for Two Managed Vets Consulting, holds a Bachelor of Science, is a CDPM, and is fear-free certified. Debbie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, guys, and thanks for asking me to come. I just dragged in from the beach, so it's a good thing that it's a podcast and not a podcast. Not a podcast, (laughs) Right. So we have a tradition on the show where we don't actually read your bio. We love our guests to tell uh, our listeners about yourself. So, you know, without having to read your bio, can you tell uh, our group what you do, who you are? And uh, I'm sure they mostly know you, but there may be a few out there that don't. So give us the good stuff, Deb. Do you have to tell my age in this? Because well, I started in veterinary medicine in the beginning of time, and I started as a part-time CSR. And then I left and I went to manage a jewelry store and a fabric shop. And one day I got this call from my former boss who said, you need to come and talk to me because my wife tells me I need a hospital manager She's really sick of me coming home at night every night at 10 and 11 o'clock. Come over and talk to me. And this was 1987. I said, sure. I came over and he said, okay, you have this job. And my job description, which I'm sure we can all relate to, was this. I don't know what you're going to do, but here it is. And then we started. So he had never had a manager before. (laughs) And if you got to figure in 1987, there were very few non-practice owner managers in existence. The uh, VHMA was new. I think it started in, what, 83, 84. So there weren't even any guides to doing this. But I grew up in the restaurant business. So I had been 
in business truly my whole life. My mother had me and then shortly thereafter, I was in one of those jump seats behind the register at the restaurant. Truly grew up in a crowd of people. And I brought that um, knowledge of business into the veterinary hospital. And more than that, I brought the hospitality part of it into the hospital, which as you guys know, is not typical training for veterinary teams. Although it's great to hire people who used to have been waiters or waitresses because they really, you know, they have this great mindset of organized and how to, how to manage traffic, how to manage a lot of different tasks at the same time. So coming at it from that direction is how I ended up as the manager. And I managed that first hospital, which grew from two doctors to five. And then it also had three satellite locations. And I did that for 19 years. And then I left there and I went to manage an 11 doctor practice that was mixed animal. And we also managed the county for the shelter. It was a 24 hour practice. So it was day general practice in the day, six o'clock it flipped to be emergency. And we also had specialists on staff. So I learned a little bit about specialty, a little bit about, you know, day practice, a little bit about shelter medicine and a little bit about mixed animal because I would get in the trucks and ride out to farm call with my veterinarians, especially to collect money because, you know, mixed animal is tough. Right. Just, you know, they don't want to pay you to you sell something, right? And, and so I, I had to go out and have some meetings when I walked into the hospital and it had $400,000 in uh, unresolved debt. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And my knees buckled. <laughs> and then we started working yeah. Wow. Anybody's would. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) So anyway, and then in 2008, during the recession, um, I actually got laid off from that practice because the practice owner said, I can't afford you anymore. And I said, well, I get that. But it was people pay their bills, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And then I just started my own consulting company. I've been doing a little bit on the side starting in 2005. I did a lot of work for Novartis Animal Health and was doing some roundtables and marketing stuff. But yeah, so then I started my business in 2008 and focused a lot on communication, customer service, uh, you know, general, Andrea said, you do general practice management stuff. I do. But what I really gravitate to is the communication and client service part of our world. So we also always like to ask our guests, you know, do you have a favorite book or podcast or, or course or, or class, something that you took that really left a lasting impression and effect on you? And, and which, what would that be and why? Oh, that's easy. Super easy. The book, Crucial Conversations. I read that book and it was so enlightening to me. Yeah, it was that's a great one. It, yeah, it, it really is. It was a lot of stuff I knew instinctively, but then having it put into such good context Mm-hmm. And organized, articulated well. Yeah, it was in a way that it was useful to people, and that I could take that knowledge and then train other people on on those premises. So that is my number one of all time. You must read this book, no matter what you do in life. You know, you need to. Yeah, learn right. It's not veterinary specific. Yeah, right. Just, just do good stuff. Yeah. Debbie, you are all things veterinary practice management, like the grand pooba in my book. Like I remember the first time I met you at a vet partners conference, like shook your hand. I was like trying to walk really fast behind you so that I could like just touch the hem of her skirt. (laughs) You are my hero from, you know, childhood. And 
I, I think you just you have you bring so much to the table, right? You can talk on anything, you can lecture on anything, inside or outside of veterinary you know, specific, you know, management really well. Like you said, you bring things from the table from even the restaurant industry. And when I asked you about, Hey, what do you want to chat about today? Like you pick whatever topic you want and we could go on for hours about it. You pick client service. Tell me why client service is so special to you. Why is that near and dear to your heart? Well, as I said, growing up in the hospitality business, I was trained on customer service from a very young child And I saw the benefit of it. And then when I brought it into the veterinary practice, because it's all I knew, I trained my team that way. And and it was incredibly beneficial because, and this is, I guess it's kind of ridiculous because I was kind of narrow-minded, I guess. When I started consulting or, or doing work with manufacturing companies, and going into other practice, I, I kind of had this impression that everybody did the business the way we did the business, as far as you know, training your CSRs how to answer the phone and your techs going into the rooms, but that our medicine was better. And I knew the medicine was better because I'd been, you know, over the years, I got some records in from some other places that were like, oh my gosh. But anyway, when I got out into the world and I found out that. Maybe the medicine was even better than our medicine, but the service was horrible. And it was causing a lot of anxiety in the team. And it, it they had really, you know, I always laugh and say, we, we burn the candle at both ends, but sometimes we set ourselves on fire. And it's because of our lack of training and a lack of skill in helping people with this customer service and hospitality, because when we don't do it right, then people get upset. And then we are dealing with an angry client. And then, you know, it goes down the rabbit hole. The idea behind training customer service is that it never goes that far. You have the skill set that sets people up for success in the veterinary team, but it also sets the client up for success because they're going to have a really good experience. And then the pet is also successful because it wins because clients trust you and they say yes to the things that you're offering. There's not this, I think you're in it for the money. I mean, good grief. How many times do we hear that over our right. lives? Right. And honestly, when, like I said, when I got out and I started to go into other practices, I realized that this was really a problem. And truthfully, I can say in my career, I fired four clients in my entire lifetime of working in practices. Wow. Because we able to handle all the other ones, or because of the way we marketed ourselves, the way we priced ourselves, they would just fall off by attrition because they weren't a good fit for the marketing plan of the hospital anyway. But being able to handle difficult people has always been something that is kind of a hoot for me. I mean, I know most people think, <laughs> nice, yeah, you're nuts, but it really is a challenge because if you know, not anybody can manage nice people, nice people are easy. But it's the ones that are yeah, the challenging ones. Yeah, that's, that's you know, that kind of gets my juices flowing. Like I'm going to fix you before you leave my my hospital nice. or my friend. <laughs> going to do something that makes you you might not be laughing when you leave, but you're going to grin a little bit before you walk out. So that was kind of the mindset <laughs> I had was to to look at these people not as oh my god, you know these people are horrible and they're mean and they're just you know attacking me is to go, mm, no, nah, I don't think so. I think you're a puzzle and I'm going to figure you out and I'm going to get the pieces in place 
so that I give you the experience you want before you leave. And then you're going to be happy, you know? So it's the, it's the way you think about things makes all the difference in the world. That's a great point. So you kind of hinted at working with some of the, the tougher clients, and we're going to talk a little bit about COVID crazy clients in a little bit later. But one of the things that I'd love your perspective on, and I think it's something that a lot of us human beings in general deal with, is you're sitting at your desk and you're, you know, looking at uh, payroll or, you know, you're checking the practice management system and your CSR calls you and says, Mr. Smith is upset, right? Debbie, how do you kind of channel that kind of nervous energy and work with that client? Because I think a lot of humans, we just avoid conflict, right? And we have to deal with it. And I think that leaning into that is super important. So how do you personally kind of, you know, it's like a fear, right? It's like, what if, what if he gets upset? What if all these things happen? So how do you channel that to be able to, as you said, you get Mr. Smith at the end going, Debbie, you made me laugh and then, you know, walk out of the clinic? Well, the first thing is I never believe my CSR. Because they will come back to you and go, Mr. Smith is mad. But if we understand emotional control and we say, okay, what is Mr. Smith really? Mr. Smith could be afraid. Mr. Smith could be aggravated. Mr. Smith could be feeling disrespected. So going back to this is a puzzle to be figured out rather than my reaction going, oh, my God, he's going to be mad and blow up. I'm going to go, let me go find out what's really wrong. Yeah, right. Some investigation there. Yeah. Curiosity. It's always Mm -hmm. about being curious. And, Mm -hmm. and like I said, over the years, I mean, I didn't walk out of the womb knowing how to do this stuff. People, it's taken me a long time to get here, but really understanding that if we are first curious, then we will much more likely solve this problem than if we come at it going, Oh my God, he's mad because One of my other favorite books is The Secret. And I don't know if you guys have read this book or not, but it really is talking about the energy that we put out into the world. And when you come at somebody and you are automatically ramped up yourself and you are tense, then people perceive that. And that perception makes them either worse or they think, oh my gosh, I've got to fight to win whatever this is. So when I would come at those upset clients, What I did was say, I'm so sorry you're having a problem. Can you tell me your story? I don't know what's going on, but can you start from the beginning and just tell me your story? And then the amazing thing you do is shut up and listen. Because we're so busy trying to defend our side of the story here that we don't listen to people. And it doesn't matter how crazy it is. It can be completely off the wall. I've had people tell me all kinds of strange stuff, but I just sit there and go, okay, I see that. I could see how you see that. And and I equate it to fear-free. So in fear-free, what we learn is that if you have a fearful dog and it's starting to escalate, you don't go and pet that dog. You're not going to right. approach the dog, right? Right, right. Let's not challenge it even more, Right. You don't even look it in the eye. In fact, you you kind of glance at it. You turn your body to the side. You you become very relaxed and, and unassuming. And maybe you throw some treats out on the ground. It's the same thing with the human. We're having those same limbic brain reactions. So our verbal treats... To clients who are starting to I was just going to say, are we going to throw cookies at him? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Get a bag I, of gold straw cookies. <laughs> he 
verbal treat. Mr. Smith, there's some cookies. <laughs> Let's start with that. <laughs> Your blood sugar is low, Mr. Smith. Yeah. Let's get but, you. Uh... <laughs> cookies might work. Valium might be better, but you know, verbal <laughs> are what we're talking about. And the verbal treats are: tell me more. I understand. I'm listening. Oh, I get it. And it's just these little affirmations that say, okay, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you, until they reach an emotional plateau that is reasonable. And you can feel them de-escalate down to that point, just like you can watch that dog de-escalate and walk over to you and say, okay, you might be all right, I'll give you a sniff or two. So we, we get to that point with the upset client and then we say, okay, would it be okay with you if I told you kind of how I see this thing. And then you ask permission to share your side. When we go into these conversations, for some reason, we think there has to be a winner. And the best thing you can come out with is compromise and negotiation. And that's what we're looking for here. We're looking for both of us to walk away with this going, you know, that worked out okay. You know, maybe I gave a little, maybe they gave a little. We both walked away and we're all good. And then we move on. But we don't have to win everything. And the client doesn't have to win everything. But when they perceive that it is a fight, they will dig in. And right. Then it becomes a knockdown, drag out, gloves off. Yeah, right. That's, that's yeah. exactly right. And and then there is no reason. You know, then it's mm-hmm. they, they will really the verbal attacks start, the nasty social media starts. But the idea is to be emotionally intelligent enough to listen well, read the signs, watch the tipping point in the conversation and always make people feel safe. This is the thing goes for staff. It goes for clients. As long as people feel safe with each other, a conversation can be had. But when one of them feels afraid or in danger, then the smart part of our brain disengages and the crazy limbic brain, that reactive brain, freeze, flee, or fight. We know that one. Mm-hmm. That steps in to take over and everybody loses. So COVID really, I think, showed us how interpersonal and, and really proximity related the animal human-animal bond is. Like we have to be there with the person and the pet and the three of us, meaning the client, the pet, and whoever, the tech, the doctor, the manager, whoever it is, that's the human-animal bond. And COVID destroyed that, right? I mean, you've got people that are sitting in a car, and we all said it, they should be in the car with AC and the radio. Why are they calling me upset, uh, you know, wondering where everything is? Well, because their pet's not there, right? I mean, they're they're literally feeling that anxiety, or they don't have the control of you know, I can't, I can't, I can't see people walking past the exam room and know that the clinic's busy. They just assume we're sitting around doing nothing. So, you know, with clients not being in the lobby um, or the exam rooms, you know, with them being restricted to their cars, and I know places at this point in time, April, 2021, some places are starting to open, but, you know, at the height of the pandemic, um, and we had to handle, you know, those COVID crazy clients. We'll kind of start talking about those a little bit. Debbie, how did how did COVID really change the way we we do or client service? And in your opinion, with the stretch of curbside, did we get better at client service or are we kind of worse at it right now and need to do some repair on the human-animal bond? I think it depends on the practice that you were in. There were some extremely creative practices that 
realized how important that face-to-face time was with their clients. Tracy Sands set up tablets with Zoom on both tablets, and the team would carry the tablet to the car. When the client came to check in, they would swap tablet for pet. Pet came in, and the entire time the pet was in there, Tracy was doing the exam on a Zoom call with the client on the other side, watching it all just like she was in the building. And then when it was done, the pet would go back out to the car, they'd get the tablet back, and the client was very happy. It also was extremely efficient because they were not having to do phone tag. And, you know, we put clients in the car on curbside and then wonder why in the world they're on the phone talking to somebody. Well, they're bored out of their mind. Bored stiff, yeah. Better that than Google it. And, and in a lot of practices, I wrote a letter about a month into COVID and said, look, one of the things that we need to do is, is push out information. We make assumptions all the time that people understand what's going on because we understand what's going on. Our clients were sitting at home bored. Uh, you guys in California, I mean, you guys locked it down. I'm in South yes, Carolina. Yes, we did. We looked at COVID and went, eh, we don't care. You know, we, They just kept doing stuff here. Um, but the clients were bored, you know, they were sitting at home thinking they didn't have anything to do. And and they assumed that you were feeling the same way, that you were doing the same thing. Instead, it got 10 times busier than it ever was before. So writing a letter to your client base, pushing that out there and saying, Hey, we just want you to know what it's like, what we're doing, why it's so slow, why we're doing curbside, what the deal is. And then I also created my second document that I shared for, while well, this was out for free, was a checklist that said, here's the things you need to do. My kind of geek out topic is neuroscience. And I study this all the time because it's part of hospitality and client service, knowing how people think. Because when you know how people think, you know how to help them. Well, people will get instructed on the telephone from the receptionist you know, bring your phone, bring your credit card, bring the dog, sit in the parking lot, tell me what parking space you're in, we'll come out, we'll go back, blah, 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 blah. And the client's going, okay, okay, okay. Well, in five minutes, they've completely forgotten that entire conversation, except maybe a couple of things. I send out a checklist with little photographs on it, because when we know that photographs increase memory 65%, when we're trying to get people to remember something. This is a really important training tip too, but folks, instead of just reading a whole list, we put a picture with it. So it said, bring your credit card and there was a Visa card and bring your phone and there was a phone picture and bring something to do. And there was a book and a puzzle and a Sudoku or thing on it. So it, it was telling people to be prepared. And once you started to push that out, then people understood and they got it. So that's, the difference between some practices and then other practices just kind of didn't do any of that stuff. In fact, I do phone shopper calls for uh, my clients. And I had a, a my person called the phone uh, of, of a competitor one day. And instead of saying, hello, ABC Animal Hospital, she said Animal Hospital. And then she said, I just want you to know we're not letting people in the building. That was oh, wow. First. That's a little gruff. Yes. Her first line. And I thought, well, everything after that was going to go downhill because that was an immediate hand in the face that says, we're not here to help you. We're here to put up a barrier between. Right. Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand. Exactly right. So it really had to do with how 
people decided to serve their client base. And some of them did it extremely well, sailed through this with very few upset people. Others, it became war and it sort of degenerated. Now, as we've gone through a whole year of this, people have become exhausted, um, our teams and our public. And when you have two very frustrated and exhausted people in a confrontation with each other, sometimes it doesn't turn out well. And we're starting to hear rumblings. I've had contacts from some practice managers that say, man, our team is really being negative about clients. They're talking about them like they're the enemy. And we need to stop this. We need to really revisit how we think about our clients and how we serve our customers because we're getting ready to let them back in the building. And this is not going right. to anymore. Right. So I think it would be an opportune time to do a quick little plug here for Meg Oliver's article that she just put out on the Vet Success platform. That was amazing because I think it talks directly to that, right? We're ready to let them back in the door. And we have put up the hand and had just a little less empathy than we normally do. And if our listeners have not read it, I do encourage you to read it, Meg Oliver's um, article, because it talks, Debbie, exactly to that point of have we fractured this relationship with our clients? And you talked earlier and made mention about vets are in it for the money, right? And so we, we tried to, over the years, make this relationship with them, overcome these barriers and these obstacles. And then now, we've, if we have not been careful, we've stuck our foot right back in it again. And so now, right, we're slowly going to let our clients back in the door. And are, are we going to have to deal with that all over yet again? That's just, oi, <laughs> right? Yeah. Kick, kicking us again, kicking, it, kicking us in the teeth while we're down. Well, if you think about it, when you don't have people in the building, you miss so many opportunities to make connections with people. You know, we, we're all members of Vet Partners and we um, have these meetings. Well, our meetings, of course, have been virtual like every other conference that there is. But one of the things that we miss the most is the connection with each other. Yeah, the, right. The conversations, the, yeah. the stalkers like you who follow me to the That's bathroom. right. <laughs> and, and those kind of connections that we make there. So when we have clients coming into the building, we'll make a little small talk. We'll see something really cute, maybe that they were wearing and we'll yeah, chat, right. pick that little outfit up or we see a book that they brought in. Oh, what are you reading? Let's talk about that. And it's those little moments that keep us human. Human beings are meant to live together. Yeah, we relationally. Are, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we are tribal. And when we are fractured away from connections with others, it, we suffer mentally. This is one of the reasons I think there's so much struggle with mental health right now over this past year is we have three groups of people that we associate with. We, first of all, it's our family. Well, sometimes our family is some of the most challenging people that we deal with, but you don't choose those. And then we have our, our coworkers and we don't choose those either. We choose where we work, but we don't choose the people that we work with. And hopefully we all get along and we have a great culture, but our friends and our connections are the people we choose to be with. It's that third space. And all during this, we lost the third space. And the the people in your third space are the ones who keep you in line. It's very much like 
a, a pack and, and you start to wander off or do something that the pack doesn't approve of and your friends are going to go, you know, that's jacked up. You need to stop thinking that yeah. way or doing those yes, things right. because we don't approve of that. And you go, okay, well, maybe I won't do that anymore. And we lost that. And that's, and so people have really gone off the rails because they've lost that. I think that once we start to get back out into the world, start making connections with others, that we're going to see humans settle back down again into a, a rhythm of life that they had before. But it's one of the reasons they're so frustrated. And, and I think we we just need to have empathy for that, that we're all in the yeah. same frustrated boat here because we can't do the things that we want to do. And, you know, the United States is built on freedom. And when you restrict freedom, we, yeah, we get a little sassy, right? We get a little sassy. <laughs> Debbie, you have worked with, I can't even imagine if you even know the number of practice owners and practice managers. I mean, I think there's 33,000 vet hospitals in the country and you probably got 30,000 of them under your belt, right? Like I can't imagine how many clients you have that wide reaching net where you're not in a small little area of South Carolina, but, you know, kind of farther reaching. And when we talk about client service in the veterinary profession, how do we compare to other professions that are also curbside? Like there's plenty of people doing curbside. And, and I know our professional is a little different, right? Like, well, it's a lot different. We see nurses, we see firemen, we see, you know, all these first responders and we're like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We have so much grace for those people. You know, we want to run out and buy any police officer a cup of coffee if we see them at the donut store, you know, but with the veterinary professions, like it's quiet about that. People don't know necessarily that we're also the first responders. And we're not the only one that are curbside. We're not the only one that's doing this. So how is it that we compare to other curbside professions, but not necessarily curbside professions like the donut store, for instance, but ones that have something similar to our profession? Well, you know, that if you think about all the, all the professions, all the hospitality industry is the one that really comes to mind. And how do we compare in customer service generally to other professions? Well, I think that we probably do better than human medicine. For sure. We are probably worse than people in like hotel industry because I've been in a whole lot of hotels <laughs> over my yeah. time. And realizing that, you know, some of the best experiences I've had with customer service have been in hotels. And I, I could tell a vast difference about 10 years ago, I guess. Now time is a blur, but maybe Marriott bought out the Ritz-Carlton chain. And when they did, they started to bring Ritz-Carlton service into Marriott training. There was a day and night difference. I mean, that Marriott was always a good chain, but the service now compared to the service then is day and night because the team has been well-trained to try to find ways to anticipate the need of the person that they're serving. So if you think about things like grocery store chains, they figured out a way to bring your groceries to us. Mm -hmm. You think about Uber and they morphed to Uber Eats and then you've mm -hmm. got- People have figured it out. Instacart. Mm -hmm. And there, there, people were very innovative in this time. And I think veterinary medicine became more innovative than they normally were. You know, it usually takes us 10 years to get anything going. And we, yeah, we learned curbside real quick, like we, we compressed 10 years of time into one year or less because the managers that first two or three months 
Oh, that was rough. Oh. Oh. 10 changes before lunchtime. Yes, absolutely. It was like drinking through a fire hose. And I wasn't even working in practice, but I had clients and I was trying to help them. And then we were also trying to figure out all these PPP loans and the EIDL loans and trying yeah. to coach them on what was supposed to happen. But then nobody knew really what was supposed to happen, including the IRS. So we were just all winging it. And all that change was happening so rapidly. But I think mm-hmm. we did. Yeah. We did a good job. I think, you know, the, I think social media helped us a great deal. I know it gave me an insight into what it was like to work every day in practice and what these managers were facing and how they were hunting every two hours. It seemed like they were doing something else or, and, but they were getting best ideas from each other and sharing those forums on, you know, VHMA was sharing forums. So there was a lot of collaborative information passing from manager to manager country, you know, and I really think, I mean, you think you look at, at, at California, you guys were hit the first so you figured it out first, and then there were other states that were kind of delayed behind that curve that followed your lead mm-hmm. and how to manage. Right. Or just did what we screwed up, right? Like, don't do that because <laughs> it was right. horrible. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> we could tell yeah. you what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was really, it was a horrible time, but it was kind of a wonderful time when you look at how collaborative people were, how willing they were to share their best practices, what had worked for them. You know, I I think we kind of get into this mindset that human beings, if we watch the news, are horrible. But if you really sit back and you take a look at what happened during this time, human beings are wonderful. And they really are. And and they, they have fed the homeless and they have been in those delivery lines taking meals to elderly people who couldn't get out. They have been there and even large corporations stepped up and did cool things you know, to help this was a, this was an effort that everybody pulled together and there were yeah. some who were you know being a little crazy and but you know their perspective was limited but for the yeah. most part everybody was great yeah we were yeah. all in it together for sure yeah exactly for sure so one of the things that I hear a lot and witnessed and it's occurring now is is burnout and our listeners are mainly veterinary practice managers, some owners, but I really worry about our veterinary practice managers. I think that they have yeah, held the staff and they've held the clients and they've held the professionalism and they've held the turnover and they've had to hold it all in, right? And have a great smiley face and maintain the clinic culture and do all these things. And I, I really worry about where they go to decompress and, and release. So Debbie, you know, what advice would you give to our managers um, who, you know, we would say, hey, guys, we want you to continue to teach, continue to coach, continue to train staff to have or provide and deliver excellent client service, even during a pandemic, right? Um, When they're the ones on the front lines uh, interacting with some of these, you know, COVID crazy clients or or tough client demands um, and have to do it all, right? So what's your, what's your suggestions or support or advice for them on how to, how to continue since this, this episode is about excellent customer service, you know, how do they continue to toe the line, right? And tell their staff, hey guys, we got to do better with client service and we got to provide a great experience for our clients when they are the ones that have to constantly interact with very, very difficult people. Well, you know, I managed for a very long time, for 23 years, and the managers are always in the hot seat. And I think there's a lack of appreciation sometimes for the job by the teams because they don't 
especially if you're good at it, you make it look pretty easy. And one of the things I've, I've told managers, I said, you need to share with your team what's going on. This burden is not all yours because yeah, always, I agree. That's important. Yeah. I've always believed in hiring smart people and using all the brains on my team. Yes. Right. Yes. It, it, you know, why should I have to do it all? In fact, it is a manager. I think you need to be a little bit bored because you need to have delegated stuff out to the point <laughs> where all you do is make sure it gets done. You don't do it. it, it over the years, if you've listened to me, you've heard me say this a hundred times. Yes. A manager's job is not to yep. do work. A manager's job is to see the work gets done. Yes. Yeah. Say it again for the cheap it. seats in the yes. back. <laughs> a manager's job is not to do the work. A manager's job is to see the work gets done. But sharing the problems with the team, because there's people who see things different than you see them. And they can be creative in their solutions. Somebody posted the other day in a manager's group, you know, everybody wants a different day off. Everybody wants to schedule here, schedule there. And she said, I think I'm going to let them do their own schedule. I said, that's a great idea. I have over in the past years, I have advised that many times. I said, here, give everybody, here's the hours. Here are the days somebody wants off. And here is the coverage that we need. Now you guys figure it out because you're the ones who want all these different and various times. And I don't care. Um, often I've had managers and of course you guys know, I've talked to a whole lot of people in my career, but when I would tell manager groups that my team did not have to tell me when they were swapping schedules with somebody, the simple rule was this. I made the schedule three months in advance. And if you needed a day off after I had made that schedule, then it was up to you to switch with somebody. As long as they had equal skill set, I didn't care. And I didn't even want to know, provided the other person showed up because you're still responsible for your shift. If the, if the right. other person- A little caveat up. there. Yeah, exactly. And then the only other thing I was concerned about was if somebody was abusing it. Like if somebody was always switching, but would never switch with the other person. So I always wanted to know that. But then again, if you have a good culture, you typically don't have that. But we need to let go of this control, this idea that we have to control everything in the universe. Otherwise, you are going to burn out. And and I I love self-managed teams. I mean, if you are the right people, they'll do the work. They know what needs to be done if you've trained them appropriately. Um, I trust my team. See, I always have trusted my teams. Now, that being said, it is very difficult in this day and age to have enough people to have a good team so that your trusted people aren't fried. Yeah, and right. We are struggling, struggling, struggling right now with people ghosting. I'm sure I'm not having to tell you guys this because right. I think that's something else that we need to share with our team and say, look, you know, we are trying our best to hire people. We are having people apply and then never call us back. So if you yeah. guys have any better answers, you know, let's, Guys, get out there and push it out to your social media stuff. You know people, you know, let's let's yeah, solicit right. our team to come and get some help. And then, of course, it, you know, it, it's also um, people are scared. Uh, they're scared of getting sick. So I think that's another kind of nail in our coffin is that mm-hmm. people are afraid to come and come to work. Yeah. And that, you know, all this may ease off in a little bit, you know, when all everybody gets vaccinated and we move on back to more normalcy. But Things are always going to happen like this. This is not my first pandemic. In fact, it's my third. 
1958. Yeah, I was young when we had the the pandemic during that time, and uh, we had Woodstock, you know, so <laughs> we didn't lock it down. <laughs> we just had a party. <laughs> Debbie, you've given us so many gems in here in just this a little bit of time that we've chatted. Can you start to wrap up with us and and really hone in and narrow in on your opinion of the three things that we just screw up, that we just royally, royally get wrong? Like, can you say these are things that are like, don't do this ever again. Here's three of them. If you do, stop doing it. Well, the first one is don't assume people understand. We talk in a completely different language than most of the people outside of our profession. And we will say things like, oh, your dog's here for vaccine checks. And the client is sitting there going, say what? And that's a simple thing. And then we start to talk about gastroenteritis and TPLOs and lovely things like that. And the clients are going, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, but they don't have So the first thing is do not assume people understand anything. People are medically ignorant. In my Patterson speaking career, I usually ask people if they've ever had this happen to them. How many of you have had clients who come into your practice who don't know if their dog is male or female? Oh, right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But they're saying yes, right? A hundred percent of my students said yes. That means this is the level of ignorance that we are dealing with on a daily basis. And notice I didn't say stupidity because it's ignorance. Because people just don't know what they don't know. And there's a whole lot of things I'm ignorant of, as are we all. So everybody's ignorant of something and we cannot judge them because they are ignorant, but we can teach them and solve that problem. The other thing I would say is that we are starting to look at clients as a bother and they're not, they're a huge asset. And when we change our mindset that says clients are interesting, clients are fun, clients are exciting, clients are fascinating, And that completely changes the way we look at people walking into the business. And then it's about building relationships. Sometimes I think we are so busy focusing on medicine, getting the work done. We forget that it only takes about 10 seconds to make a connection with another human being. And that can be as simple as saying, gosh, you know what? I really like what you've done with your hair or what a cute child, you know, what grade is your child? And this is just a few seconds in emergency. I've had people say, you know, somebody was always going, well, my regular veterinarian is Dr. So-and-so. And this technician said, well, what do I care? I'm going to do the same thing no matter what I want. You don't understand. That's a connection point. People want you to say, yes, I know Dr. So-and-so. We work with his clients all the time. Yeah. It's like that six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? It's it's (laughs) somebody you know. Right. And that is a really important connection point that sometimes we miss because Mm -hmm. we don't listen very well. Yeah, that's a great point. So, Deb, we always like to give our listeners like a couple of really actionable takeaways. So what are like one or two really good action items in what we've talked about for, you know, the almost last hour, customer service, client service, culture, um, and delivering on that, that our managers could start tomorrow to up their game with delivering on an exceptional client experience? 
The very first thing I would say is stop speaking negatively. It is harming our relationship with our clients, and it's also harming us because we're living in a negative, kind of a pool of negativity. And it's unfortunate that human beings tend to migrate towards negativity and and salaciousness. But if we start to retrain and reframe our brain and say, this is inappropriate, this is not helping, you know, it's like people who gossip or they'll go complain about somebody. Well, is that solving the problem? Yeah. You talk to the person that you have a problem with rather than going and talking to the 50 other people. Yeah, I'm making it worse. Right. Making it worse. That's not helpful at all. Pouring gasoline on the flyer. Exactly. And getting nowhere, making no progress, making no solution to the problem whatsoever. So going back to my favorite book, Crucial Conversations, we actually learn how to give feedback to other people appropriately in the moment. And for years, I've talked about training people like you stop a puppy from peeing on the rug and you don't wait a year from now to say you pee on the rug a year ago for their performance review. In fact, you go up to them at the moment, you go, no, stop. Let me take you where you're supposed to go. Let me reward you when you do it right. And we spend a lot of time looking for things that people, the things that people do wrong. We need to reframe and start looking for the things that people do right. And managers are very guilty of this. The only time they speak to their team is when they fuss at them. Uh Oh, Um, I'm in trouble. I have to go to the manager's office. Exactly right. And so they're calling him and going, hey, you know what? I watched you do this. That was amazing. Amazing. Do more of that. But we, we don't do that because that seems to be something that we put on the back burner. That should be the most important role of the manager. Lifting people up, watching, walking around. You can't manage a hospital hiding in your office. You have to walk around. You have to see what people are doing. You have to catch them in the act, doing something well. And in that moment, remark on that because human beings like to be noticed. They like to be rewarded for the things that they do right. And appropriate feedback is important when they're doing something negatively. But when I used to catch my team doing something wrong, I would apologize to them. And I would say, this is my fault. I'm your trainer. And I didn't teach you correctly, so I'm sorry, but let me teach you right now because it's not a nanner nanner. You know, it's, it, this is your and job. pointing fingers. Yeah. No, no shame and blame, right? It doesn't do any good. It doesn't lift people up. So spending more time lifting people up rather than trying to catch them. And then for the other thing too is do not wait for somebody to spoon feed you skills and education. Now I'm speaking to two overachievers here. Hell, we're all overachievers, right? Look at all the initials. But we went out and got it, right? If you could see me now, you you guys can see me, but there's there's books of books and books and books behind me. And all of those are, I'm a bookaholic. And this is just a quarter of what I own. But it is about self-education and, and putting yourself out there If you want to be something more than where you are right now, it is on you to do it. It is not somebody else's responsibility to get you there. And that's what I would say. Educate yourself. Take responsibility for your life and do what it takes to get where you want to be. 
So through this advice, Debbie, I mean, you've given us again, like gem after gem after gem, right? I wish all managers could hear you speak and talk and tell us these great things, but pick one piece of advice. What would you say to your younger self as a manager? What would you say to the listeners out there that are maybe baby managers? What one piece of advice could you give us that would be um, your mantra or motto to live by? Assume positive intent. We, we go through life assuming that people sometimes want to hurt us and that they're doing things intentionally. I think most people go through life doing the best they can. And if we assume positive intent, then we will automatically give people the benefit of the doubt in any conversation, in any situation, no matter who they are, you know, whether we agree with them or not, and understand that people just live in their own head. Everybody has their own biases. Everybody has their own beliefs. And you're not always right. Awesome. Good stuff. Had we only known that, right? Mm -hmm. We started in the profession or started in life. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. If we only knew. If we only knew we were not always right. And we're not so sure that we're always right. You know, there's a little, there's a little self-doubt. It's not a bad thing. A little, yeah. (laughs) You know, we we always make bad choices. We always goof up and confess your sins. You know what? I forgot to show up for work one day and my staff, well, they were, I mean, they, they thought it was hilarious. I, I, I called like 30 minutes after the shift started when I realized what I had done. It was an odd day. I didn't normally work. And I went, why didn't you guys call me? And they went, well, you're the boss. We thought you weren't going to come. I went, oh my <laughs> God, I'm horrified that I'm not there. So for like weeks, they just gave me a, a whole bunch of grief because I didn't show up for work one day. But you know what? Stuff happens and confess your sins and move on. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be human. With all of the experience that you have had and all the encounters with practice owners and practice managers and employees and clients, and as a very experienced practice manager, I know that you have had those moments, whether, you know, it be with a a client or a staff member where you just like chin hits the ground, eyes pop out like pugs, palm hits the forehead when you're just like, no way, this really just happened you cannot make this shit up story. I know you have to have tons of stories to share with us, but pick your favorite one that you just say, there is no way that you could make this shit up. Well, I, you know, I, I there's so many. And, and you got to figure that I've also had stories told to me by veterinary teams right, over right. the last years. But the one that sticks out to me and the one I tell the most often is the story about the hamster. There was a, a practice out in Texas and they sent their CSRs to my training class and we were asking about crazy client stories, which is always a fun icebreaker. She said, we have a client who is raising hamsters, but his goal is to raise mega hamsters. He wants really like the size of guinea pig hamsters. Well, one day his prized hamster Sal died and he called the hospital and asked if he could bring it over and that we would uh, necropsy and find out what was happened to it. And she said, sure, just bring it over. So the man came into the hospital carrying this hamster wrapped in a bath cloth. The receptionist took it from him and unwrapped the bath cloth and looked down and saw that this poor thing was burnt, like singed its hair. And she went, oh my gosh, did it bite an electric cord? Is this what happened? And this is how its hair got singed. And he went, oh no. When it died, I thought maybe I could revive it. So he <gasps> cut the lamp cord, <laughs> slid the lamp cord, oh, and no. tried to use it 
as like the cardio stimulator. Yes. <laughs> that is great. But oh my. I just oh pray my. this thing was really dead when yeah. you yeah. tried to do that. But I mean, can you <laughs> assume good intent? <laughs> right, right, right. The, the intention was. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. He saw it on uh, saw it on a medical he show. He was watching TV. ER on TV. Yep, right. yep, yep. Let Too many medical shows wires. for that guy. <laughs> he was at the court of the lamp and just. Oh tried. man. That's great. Hey, Andrea here. Have you seen our social media pages? Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So Debbie, as we wrap up, we go, we're moving into our rapid fire section. Um, do you need a minute to prepare or are you ready to, um, to dive I'm ready in? to roll. All right. So tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact. Well, I was teaching class and I am a self-confessed medicine snob. And I was making remarks about stick and go practices one day and, and somebody got offended and said, you know, I, I really didn't think that was appropriate. Came back on a speaker review where I got this really negative review. And I thought, oh, you know, I was offended because most of my speaker reviews are very positive. But then I happened to think about it. And I thought, no, you know what? That's, they're exactly right. There's a place for everything in veterinary medicine. Just because I'm stuck up about it doesn't mean that I'm right. And so I learned from that to couch my comments and, and confess my snobbery to the public and said, you know, but there is a place for every kind of medicine out there as long as animals are getting help. So that was my epic failure is to get a really negative speaker review because I didn't really think about everybody in my audience. And tell me about your proudest moment. Oh, that one's easy. Again, teaching a class, and I was talking about how important CSRs are. And after the class, a woman came up to me. I was in Washington, D.C., and she said, I have been working in a veterinary hospital for 20 years as a CSR, and you are the first person who ever told me I was important. Wow. Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession? For me, it is the combination of science and animals and business and humans. It is just a really fascinating puzzle. And it always has been. I've always been an animal person. But the all these moving parts, the, no day is ever the same. No customer is ever the same. And, it, and, and over the years, thinking of the things that animals get into, it's always like, wow, <laughs> you know, there's always a wow moment in there somewhere. Self-care, it's uh, something that I think many of us struggle with. How do you practice it and how do you decompress? Well, I spend the morning working on the beach, so there's that. But I, you know, I really love what I do, but I also put myself some boundaries up. So I realized that I'm going to work 
limited hours. I'm going to work and I'm going to, you know, like relax in my morning. I'm going to start work at a certain uh, time. I'm going to stop work at a certain time. So there are some boundaries there. And, you know, I ran practices the same way too. I believe that the appointment book is the gospel and you start and stop and you go home and you have lunch and you take breaks and you control the traffic in the hospital. Now you can't do it in emergency. That's a a completely different world. But in day practice, there's no reason not to control the runaway horse. So I run kind of myself that same way. I take the weekends off. I hang out with friends. I, like I said, I moved, I lived at the beach. I love to dig in the dirt. Um, I planted all kinds of pots yesterday. So I have lots of watering to do now. That that doesn't pay off well in the summer because then it's a task that I have to do. I have to water like for two hours every night after water stuff. But I still love being outside and digging around in plants. How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance? I think I used to as a younger person, a younger manager, I always felt like there was something I needed to do. But then again, looking at it, you can't burn the candle from both ends. You've got to take the time to refresh yourself. You've also got to take the time to educate yourself. Like I talked about earlier, if I didn't take the time to kind of sit back and do reading and listen to podcasts and, you know, get outside of the task of veterinary consulting, I wouldn't bring anything to the table. I wouldn't be able to to sit here and talk to you about all the things I talk to you about. So I think it's really important that we refresh ourselves, that we go and watch a little mindless TV. I've kind of gotten hooked on This Is Us recently because I haven't watched it at all. So I started with season one and now I'm obsessed with it. And Yellowstone is my other obsession. So I have two obsessive TV shows that I'm watching and American Idol. I cannot miss American Idol because I also like to sing. And so I sing along and I'm singing around the house and that's another decompression thing that I do. But, you know, it, it really, there, it will, I found out over the years, it'll always be there tomorrow. And you might as well, you know, life is short. You need to enjoy your life in the day. We only have today. We, you can't change anything about the past. So let the past go. Just let it go. You can't control the future because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But today, you can live in today and you can step outside in the sunshine and spend a little time watching bluebirds go from one house to the other. Just, you know, look at a crack in the sidewalk and see what's you know, what little ants are doing there. I mean, it really, I'm fascinated with the world and taking that time to step back and watch it, just do its thing has always been something that I enjoy doing. Even as a, as a child, I'd just go hang out in a tree and sit in a limb and just watch stuff happen. What keeps you up at night? Things that stress you out or things that cause you anxiety in your business? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to hate the answer to this. Absolutely nothing. I don't, I sleep well at night. Nothing keeps me awake. My husband goes, I wish I slept like you. I, again, it's just being relaxed and realizing that I don't control this, you know? Um, and if you think you control the world, you're wrong. You don't control a damn thing. So give it up, you know, give it up, just enjoy it. And I've always found that if you do the work, if you make the connections, if you know the people, and if you do the right thing, the work shows up, the money shows up. I don't stress about it. And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day? Ooh, 
sometimes I'll have a project. I love a project. And right now I'm, I'm in the middle of doing, um, I'll give you a little hint. I'm going to write a book. So I have the day on the beach writing outline Mm -hmm. and it is about the subject that we're talking about today. And I'm going to write a book. So um, I'm excited about that. And then, then I have a project that's going to be kind of a workshop parallel to that book. And I'm working on that. So that um, I love to help my clients. I, I look forward to having conversations with them and, and watching the light bulbs go off and helping their teams through some challenges. So that's, I always think that's a lot of fun. And again, I just kind of enjoy life and the challenge and learning something new. And there's always a new adventure the very next day or always something new. I think for my whole life, I've been uh, a knowledge junkie. So anything that, I mean, I watch the Discovery Channel, I will read the cereal box. Yeah, I, I'm one of those. So there's always something new to learn and that keeps me excited every day. Debbie, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Debbie. I want to give a huge shout out to uh, your vodcast, The Bend. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about it and and where they can access it? Oh, sure, sure. They can find it on YouTube. And if they want to, the easiest thing is probably to go to my website, dboon2managedbets.com and just follow the um, YouTube icon there. But The Bend, I'm interviewing people in and out of veterinary medicine who are or have overcome life's challenges. You know, those bends in the road where you are unexpectedly hit by whatever it happens to be. And we're talking about how they came through that, how they how they make those decisions, make changes in their lives, sometimes dramatic changes in their lives. And it always comes out for the best. So it's it's all about storytelling. And there's some fascinating people on there. And one day we'll get both you and Andrea on there. So you are both on my list. So be ready. Oh, thank you. Well, this has thank been wonderful. Thank you, Debbie. Debbie, this has been thank great. you so much yes. for coming on. And we'll catch you on the flip side. You're quite welcome. Thank you guys for putting on the podcast. And I look forward to uh, listening to it. For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow. We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us. You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us. Check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials. This is Andrea. And David. Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane. The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature, and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and their guests only, may not be current, and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. 
Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.